Our scripture today is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he say this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Thanks, Nolan. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are new, joining us for the first time this evening, we're a relatively new church, so you're in good company. And regardless of what your background may be, I just want to put all of our cards on the table. We want you all to know Jesus. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a place where you can ask objections and, and ask skeptical questions. Uh, we, we encourage that here. And at, at the end of all things, we really do want you to, to know Jesus. And for those of you who are Christians, regardless of what your church background is, we want you to, to grow in a deep relationship here uh, with Jesus uh, that moves your entire being. So uh, it's great to worship you, with you all this evening. And uh, as Lisa mentioned in her prayer, we're starting a new sermon series. So this is a seven-week series that's going to take us right up to Easter. And what we're going to be looking at is the question that Jesus asked his disciples in the beginning of that passage where he says, who do you say that I am? And here's why we need to, to look at this. Um, so a, a number of years ago when I worked as a not pastor, uh, in a job that many of you may call a real job or a, a, a normal job. So I was talking with one of my coworkers and we got talking about Christianity. And uh, he's not a believer. And as the conversation moved forward, I just looked at him and I said, hey, who, who do you think Jesus is? Just curious. And he said, you know, Jesus, whoever he was, must have been a really nice guy. And so what I asked him is, I said, huh, okay, I, he, I'm sh- sure he was, but why, if you're the Roman government, would you decide to crucify a guy for being really nice? And he said, hmm, gee, I don't know. Wrong place, the wrong time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you could say that, and, but here's, here, here's the point. Um, we do that. We do this a lot with Jesus is we put him in a safe category. And so we say, Jesus was a really nice guy. Jesus was nothing more than a traveling hippie of love. Jesus was a myth. We don't really know who the real Jesus is. 
And you see, with, with all of these answers, that Jesus, when you put him in a safe compartment, that Jesus can't change you. He can't, he can't challenge you. Why? Because, well, he's just a projection of you, a projection of your desires. And for those of you who are believers, you need to be challenged here because you may be thinking, okay, yeah, skeptical people might put Jesus in a safe category where he doesn't have to challenge them. But the, the same question needs to be asked for you. Who do you say that, that Jesus is? Because you might get asked that question and you might go, oh, I know. God's only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, rose again on the third day, ascended the right hand of the Father, will return again to judge the living and the dead. Apostles' Creed, I know it, boom, that's who Jesus is. Well done, good. <laughs> okay, so that, that is the most important part about who Jesus is. But ask yourself, where, as you're reading the accounts of Jesus' life and his teachings, where do you tend to ignore the parts of Jesus and his teachings that really push on you and just keeping the parts that you like, right? And so, um, so what we're gonna, that's what we're going to be doing over, over the seven-week series is, is looking at the real Jesus. For a lot of people, when they, when they come to Christ, they often view, you often view Jesus as a, a very nice house guest. So when he comes into your life, he, he takes off his shoes at the door, and then he comes and he just sits himself on the couch and he comforts you. And sometimes Jesus does do that, yes, but a more accurate picture of who Jesus is when he comes into your life, he's very much like an inappropriate house guest who walks into your life with a chainsaw and a sledgehammer and starts tearing down the walls, ripping up the floors, because he's, he's making you an entirely new person. And it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful process, but it's also very painful and very surprising um, as he forms you in, into his likeness. And so, so that's what we're doing over, over these seven weeks. It's taking a really close look at um, some of the more uncomfortable passages as well. At, at who is this Jesus and who is he and what does it mean to follow him? And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight is answering those two questions, looking at this passage in Mark chapter eight. So first, who is Jesus? And then second, what does it mean to follow him? And I'll go ahead and give you the answers up front and we'll flush them out. So who is Jesus? He's the king, but he's the king on a cross. And what does it mean to follow him? It means to pick up your cross and suffer for sake and for others. So Jesus, he's the king on a cross. And to follow him, that means you pick up your cross and suffer for him and for the sake of others. So are you glad you came to church tonight? Okay, it's going to be, it'll be, it's a challenging passage, but, but we have to look at it. So uh, first number one, Jesus is the king on a cross. So as, as we look at this, this is narrative. And what's very helpful for learning what God wants you to, to learn through narrative is to rather than reading it informationally, like we did with first John is to um, try your best to, to feel it. To, to imagine it and, and let it soak in. And that's how a lot of the lessons will, will bloom in, in your life. And so let's do that now, especially in, in this account and in all of Mark. Historical context is, is very important. So what's going on surrounding this passage when Jesus asks, who, who do you say that I am? Well, if you're living in Judea in the surrounding region in this time, uh, needless to say, this wasn't like living in suburban America, right? So this, this area, you think our political climate now is bad? That doesn't hold a candle to, to what was going on here. So this place was a, a firestorm of political and religious tension. And if you were a Jew in, in particular, uh, your life sucks. Can, can I say that? So you, you've seen family members chopped up babies, your children have been taken from you and, and murdered. Uh, you're, you're held down and locked in poverty, even by some of your own people. 
are, are, are keeping you down. And Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, is out and about doing things at this time. And so they had recently sent down uh, Pontius Pilate to try to maintain some semblance of peace in this area. And so in, in the middle of this firestorm, the Jewish people are holding on to hope of a Christ figure. Um, so they, they knew about him from, from their scriptures. And depending on what sect of Judaism you were in, there were, there were different impressions of what this Christ would do. But um, they, were, they were familiar with a, a Christ figure. And in essence, what this Christ was going to do was he would be the true heir of David. Uh, he would be a king that comes in and he would do at least two things. He would, he would liberate the, the Jewish people from their oppressors. And then he would also usher in a, a kingdom of healing and flourishing and prosperity. He would come in power and, and that's how he's going to do it. And so you have all this political tension. You have the Jews eagerly anticipating the, this Christ figure. Already some people claiming to be the Christ have come in power that they were done away with. And then into the middle of this powder keg walks in a very ordinary looking woodworker from a backwater town whose name is Jesus. And he shows up on the scene in Mark chapter one. And when you read the gospel of Mark, what you see is that Jesus shows up on the scene. And in the very beginning, everyone starts asking, who is this? Because he's very ordinary looking, but he does extraordinary things. So in Mark chapter one, he goes into the synagogue and schools their best teachers. And people say, who is that, that teaches with authority. Then in Mark ch- chapter two, he, he heals a paralytic and then claims to forgive his sins. And people ask, who is this? Uh, who, who can claim to forgive sins but God alone? Then in Mark chapter four, the disciples are in a boat and the Sea of Galilee is getting tossed around like a bunch of water in a bowl. Jesus calms the storm with the word of his power. And then his very disciples say, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? As you, as you progress through the chapters, who is this that commands the demons? Who is this that raises the dead? Who is who is this? And then in Mark chapter eight, what Jesus does here is it says, see, he takes his followers up to Caesarea Philippi. So this was an area about a hundred miles north of Jerusalem. And this place was charged with religious meaning. So if you can picture it, uh, it was right at the base of about a a 9,000 foot mountain. And there's all these temples around. This area was heavily influenced by uh, Alexander the Great when he had come through prior. And so there's all these temples to pagan gods. There's a temple to the Roman emperor who is viewed as a god. So the point is, is Jesus is taking them to this place that's essentially a, a, a battle arena for, t- for a battle of the gods. And in the middle of all these temples, he's very symbolic. He, he looks at his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And then his disciples, they start by echoing the gossip of the masses. So they say, uh, you're seeming like a prophet. So Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, John Piper 2.0. Um, and then so Jesus, you know, stifling an eye roll, he, he, he looks them in the eye and he says, okay, forget about what other people are saying who I am. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, you are the Christ. And yes, yes, Peter, you impetuous, passionate, often wrong, but always well-intentioned, ruffian fisherman, Peter, you got it, you nailed it. Yes, Jesus is the Christ, fireworks go off, pop, 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 champagne bottles are popping, the, the disciples are thinking, finally, that this Christ figure is here, he's going to liberate us, let's go down to Jerusalem and wipe out these fools. And, and then Jesus pulls the e-brake on all of this momentum, and he says, I am the Christ, I am the King. But I'm going to Jerusalem to be rejected and to suffer and to, 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 be, to be put to death. And 
the, the disciples are, are, are flabbergasted. And so Peter takes Jesus aside. And when it says Peter rebukes Jesus, uh, that word is very strong. That, that same word for rebuke is the same word that was used to describe when Jesus rebuked the demons. So Peter has the audacity to pull the one who he believes is God aside and, and, and say, Jesus, what, what's wrong with you? And while this is pretty incredible that, that Peter does this, you, you have to sympathize with him when, when you put yourself in his shoes. Um, because this was, this was so unexpected when Jesus says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to go lay down my life and suffer and die. So imagine, imagine you are a, say, a, a linebacker for a, a football team. And you are on a football team that is just getting your butt handed to you over the past 10 years. So you're one of the worst teams in the NFL. So one of the worst teams right now, uh, I don't really follow football, but I was told the Browns are one of the worst teams right now. In terms of like a 10-year period, you, you could say that, right? Um, so imagine you are a, a player on, on, on the Browns team, and next year, this amazing new quarterback joins your team. And he, he's the best quarterback the, the world has ever seen. So he, he can run. He makes Tom Brady look like he can't throw his way out of a wet paper bag. And, and he carries you all the way, right, through, um, th- through the, the normal season into the, into the playoffs. And then he takes you all the way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Guys, stop laughing at me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets you all the way to the Super Bowl. And then in, in the pregame huddle, he's one of the captains. He, he pulls everybody in and you're thinking, okay, I can't, I can't wait for his game plan because I know we're going to smash this team on, on, on public television. And he, he, he says, okay, guys, here, here's the plan. We're going to go out there and I'm going to throw an interception in our first four plays on purpose. And then our defense is going to let the other team score. And then we're going to do that again and again. And again, say at least 10 times. So, so we're down 70 points he- heading into halftime. If you're on that team, it would be your duty to grab him by the face mask, pull him aside and say, are you out of your mind? Because it's so upside down to, to how victory happens. See, th- th- this, is what ha- this is what's happening with Peter he pulls Jesus aside. He's saying, Jesus, I've seen you exercise power like a boss. And, and now you're just going to lay it all down and, and suffer and die. You, you know what our people are going through. People are losing their lives here. So you can see why he's so angry. This makes no sense. And Jesus responds by saying, Peter, I hate evil more than you do. And I am going to end evil. But because the line dividing good and evil goes right down the middle of every single human heart, you and your heart are no different than the people oppressing you. Because you, just like everybody else, has rejected God as God, has insisted on being your own Lord, has rejected him even though he made you for a love relationship with him. And so if I'm a just God, and I am, I am going to wipe out all evil and injustice. But since I'm a loving God, I also want to, to forgive you and offer you a way to, ba- into my family. It's not based on your work, but it's based on grace. And so there, there's two ways I can wipe out evil. I can wipe out you or I can get wiped out. I can take the payment for your sin so that if you trust in me, you're adopted into God's family as his child. 
That's what I'm doing, Peter. See, my victory doesn't come through power and assertion like the world says, but my victory comes through laying down my life for you. I'm a king, but I'm a king who's going to a cross. So that's who Jesus is. He's God. He's the king who went to a cross to suffer and die and raise again for his people. Now, what, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus if this is who Jesus is? Because you notice here in verse 31, Jesus ties his, his suffering to how his followers are to live. So he, he says, I'm going to suffer and, and be rejected. And then in verse 34, he says, if anybody would come after me, it must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so here's what it means to follow Jesus. And it makes sense when you think about it in terms of household. So when you trust in Christ, you come into his family and he's at the head of your house. And so whenever you're in a household, you resemble who's at the head of your house. So for those of you, you know that you, be, you begin to resemble your parents, whether you want to or not, because they're, they're at the head of your house. And think about it. You see it in stories. So Harry Potter, I think most of you have read Harry Potter or seen Harry Potter. So think about how the houses work in, in Harry Potter, right? So the people who are in the Gryffindor house, they are, they are courageous because the, head of the, the founder of their house, Gryffindor, was, was courageous. People who are in Hufflepuff tend to be loyal because Hufflepuff was, was loyal. People who are in Ravenclaw are wise and intelligent. Uh, the ones who are in the house of Slytherin are, tend to be cunning and ambitious, because that's who Slytherin was. They, they resemble the person who's the founder of their house. And so Jesus is saying, if, if you trust in me and come into my family, I'm at the head of your house. And so following me, if I'm a suffering king who gives up my power for the sake of others and takes up a cross, that means you who are in my household, you must pick up your cross and suffer for the sake of others. Americans do not like to hear this, uh, but we need to look at it because it, it's all throughout Jesus' teaching. And so, so this next part is going to be pretty heavy on application um, because we, we need to flesh out what does it mean to, to suffer, to pick up your cross and suffer for the sake of Jesus if he is at the head of your household. Um, because if you aren't living a life of suffering, then you're, you're not following Jesus. You're following a different God. And so first, what does, what does suffering mean? Um, I need to define this because we tend to have a pretty distorted, uh, at best narrow definition of suffering. So what it doesn't mean is you need to move to a third world country and live in poverty as a missionary. Um, you don't necessarily need to, to suffer in that way. Um, also, Jesus isn't saying that you need to suffer in the sense of suffering comes into your life just from living in a fallen world. So you have anxieties and you, you, you may get a congenital illness from living in a broken world and, and suffer. That's not the suffering he's talking about. He's also not talking about the suffering. There's a way that you can suffer, but do it in a way that makes other people think well of you, right? So, so you suffer and then you tell other people about it and they say, oh, that's just, that's just so amazing that, that you've suffered in that way and persevered. And that's not what Jesus is talking about either. He, he's talking about suffering specifically tied to, to identifying with Jesus and, and living as his disciple. A unique suffering that only comes from being in his house. 
And so here are a, here are a few ways that that, 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 that flushes out. The, the first way uh, is suffering means rejection. It means rejection. So Jesus said himself, I'm going to be rejected by the elders and chief priests. And then the cross itself is the epitome of rejection. And so Jesus is saying, when you are my disciple, you, if you are indeed following me, inherent to that is you will be rejected. And by people. And Arlingtonians need to hear this because this population, maybe more than any other people group, has a very visceral reaction to rejection. You're, you're so scared of rejection. And in large part of it, it comes from, it's part of the curse of being a very gifted person who many of you got into great schools. Many of you have great jobs. You're very competent in what you do. What that happens is you don't experience rejection very often. And so you become more fearful of something that you don't experience very often. And so, so a question to ask yourself is, do you live in such a way where people reject you because of Jesus? So in other words, in, in your work uh, with your friends who don't know Christ, uh, with your neighbors, are, are you very open and honest about how much Jesus means to you? And, and do you invite other people to know Jesus so that people even have the opportunity to reject you? Okay? Are you even giving people a, a, a chance to reject you on behalf of Jesus? Because I know for, for many of you, you're very, you're very compassionate people, you're sweet people, but you avoid telling other people about Jesus or inviting others to check him out because you say, oh, I don't want to offend people. That, that's good. But examine yourself to see if underneath that fear of offending really isn't just a fear of being rejected. Especially in this cultural climate, I know for a lot of you in your workplaces, that it is not friendly toward, toward Christianity. But if, if you're not being open about your faith, then you're you're not in Jesus. You're not acting like you're living in Jesus' household. And remember, as an encouragement, as you tell others about Jesus in small ways, it's not you're not inviting people to a funeral. You're inviting people to a celebration. Often we tend to view telling other people about Jesus as a begrudging thing. It's a celebration we're inviting people to. And and while yes, the the climate is much of it is very anti-Jesus right now. The the power of God is so much greater than the hardness of the human heart. And about a year ago, I was talking with one of our members who's at the morning service, and she was talking about how she, um, she's really scared of rejection, and, but one of her friends, who's not a Christian, was going through a really hard time, and she said, I just went on a limb, and I decided to ask her, hey, you know, I know you're going through a really hard time. Would, would you mind if I shared how the God I know, Jesus Christ, helps me with suffering? It's okay if you don't want to hear it, but I'm happy to share. And her friend said, yeah, I'd actually would love to hear. And so this girl just gave a, a little gospel presentation in terms of how Christ's life, death, and resurrection steadies her in the midst of storms. And this girl ended up coming to Christ. And as I was talking with this, this church member, she said, you know, she actually, she, she responded positively. And I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm telling so many people about Jesus now because even if I get rejected 25 times, is it not worth it for one soul? who God brings into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so (laughs) gaze into the beauty of who Jesus is and and get over your your fear of rejection 
and, and, and tell people about him in, in, in small ways in your life. Okay, so that's, 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 that's number one, what suffering looks like is rejection. Okay, number two, what does suffering look like when you follow Christ? It, mean, it means being uncomfortable. So willingly putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. So we're, we're flushing out here the, this idea where Jesus says, pick up your cross. It's a rich image. So picking up, carrying a cross is very uncomfortable. And so Jesus says, you should be living a life that, that makes you uncomfortable. And if you live in this area, you do worship comfort. I can say that because it's, it's in the drinking water here. And a couple months ago, I was reading an article, and the title says it all. Uh, the title of the article was, Move Over, Move Over Sex and Drugs, Ease is the New Vice. And what the article is saying is we, we are so addicted now, um, especially in, in the first world, to living a life that's unbothered because, you know, we can order... Uh, Uber Eats to, to take it to our house. Love Uber Eats, by the way, if, if, you, if you do that. You, you can order food in your house. You can change the, the thermostat in your home when, when you're not even home. It, like, be increasingly so, our life is less and less bothersome. And they were looking at trends of, uh, they looked at the sex lives of teenagers. And, you know, you can make studies say a lot of different things. But one of the, 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 the trends that they saw is teenagers, despite living in a culture that's more sexualized, especially because of technology and the access we have to it than before, teenagers are saying they, they actually have less sex with other people than prior generations because it's tiresome to, to actually like engage with a, a real person because you can just go and, you know, find your pleasure online if you want to do it that way. That, that's where a lot of people are going now to, for sexual fulfillment. And another thing they, they said is that um, the marketers, the researchers were looking at declining cereal sales and the, the, the millennial generation, about 50% of them said the, the number one reason they don't buy cereal is because of the effort it takes to clean it up after you're done with it. So like the, the, the you know, the extra pieces in the bowl and the, and the milk and don't laugh. You guys, you got, you know, some of you do it. <laughs> okay. The, the, the point here is we are obsessed with living a life that's unbothered. And so when Jesus calls you to do things that bother you, you, you don't want to do it. And so what are some practical, what are some practical applications of that? Um, number one is hospitality. So our community groups are reading Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield, where uh, as you see that God took you who was a stranger and brought you into his family, so are you to open up your home to your neighbors and coworkers who don't know Jesus and people in the church who aren't like you, to invite them in your home, share a meal with them, and over time, just share the love of Jesus with them through, through word and deed. And so a lot of you guys are, are, are making progress in this way. And just, we need, we need to continue to push this because opening up your home to people who are outside of your inner ring is very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to, to invite strangers in, in, into your home. You know, I know a, a one, one couple in, in this church was, was recently telling me that, so they recently invited uh, 28 of their, of their neighbors over and only five came. 
So they had a, a ton of extra food, still five people coming. That's a, that's a pretty good return, right? The, the fact that even five came, but they're just sharing about, okay, yeah, you know, it wasn't as many as we hoped and it, and it continues to be clunky. But the point is in, in many ways, and you know, Kelsey and I have been doing this for a few months now, it, it continues to be uncomfortable, but God, God produces amazing fruit through it, especially in our current climate where so many people are lonely. And because of the hotbed that is um, religious and political topics, the best way to share Christ with someone somebody is over a meal in a home, not online. And so if, if you currently aren't engaging in this, ask yourself, is it because I'm, I have a, a very negative response to being uncomfortable? And if you are doing it, could continue through, through the discomfort. So that's number one uh, in terms of being uncomfortable, being, being hospitable. Uh, the, the second way is being uncomfortable through, through serving, and here I want to encourage you all, uh, because most of you in here serve. The, this church service could not happen without you all leading worship, setting up, you know, greeting people at the door. And so I want to say thank you. <laughs> Just thank you so much, because serving the church is, is suffering in the sense of you, you do have to give up your time in terms of coming here early, staying late. And in this way, you are taking up your cross and following Jesus. And so thank you guys so much for, for serving to make it so that other people can, can worship, serving our kids ministry, okay, all sorts of things. And as a charge, as we continue to move forward, you know, we're getting, as, we, as we're starting to outgrow this space, we're going to be moving into a slightly bigger space and you know, probably this upcoming fall. It's going to get harder because uh, it's probably going to require more setup. And so, so continue forward. Okay, we're in a nice cocoon right now. But remember that, that following Jesus is suffering. And part of that is giving up your time so that, so that other people can worship. So I want to say thank you there. Uh, you all don't need to be pushed to, to, to serve more. Um, and then finally here, when it comes to, to being uncomfortable, is be uncomfortable by surrendering your plans to Jesus. So most of you in here are heavy planners, heavy planners. Okay. And that's a planning is good. Okay. Keep planning. Um, however, just as a, as a challenge to you, consider how often you plan without the kingdom of Jesus in mind. So uh, a, a couple examples here. Uh, one is retirement. And I understand a lot of people here may not even be in a position to start saving for retirement because of student loans or whatever. But uh, we, in the West, we have a, a very twisted view of retirement where now should you, should you save so that when you're older, um, you're not having to depend on a lot of people? Yes, that's a good thing to do. However, we've gone so far to, to the other, other end of that spectrum where retirement is viewed as let me retire as early as I can uh, so that I can live where I want, travel when and where I want, and generally just be very comfortable and that's, that isn't picking up your cross and suffering, suffering for the sake of others. Because when you put so much away that you have excess when you're older, there, there's so much there that, that you're not giving to others in need now. And so just consider, consider how do you think about your, your future? Are, are you giving so much now to, to the church and others in need that it does impact the standard of living you'll be able to have in re- retirement? And also, just as you think about retirement, are you thinking about in terms of how can I live the life I want to live or how when I'm older can I invest in younger generations? How can I invest in the community that, that I'm a part of? Or, or if you have student loans, 
Um, to, to be honest, young people are, we're very good at making excuses for why we can't start giving sooner because, oh, I have all these student loans. And so just know that if you're, if you're not finding a way to give now, it's not going to happen when you get older. It's a proven fact. The wealthier you get, the stingier you get. And you give a, a, a lower percentage of your total income. So are you finding a way to, to give generously? Okay, so next is, is you think about planning. Just think about, are you, are you holding your plans with an open hand? And so because it, it's easy to say, okay, this many years from now, I'm going to get married. And then this many years later, I'm going to have a child. And then after that, I'm going to get a house. And then I'm going to retire or I'm going to, you know, be successful in my career at, you know, at, at, this, at this marker. Again, plan, yes. But as you do that, are you submitting them to the Lordship of Christ and truly holding them with an open hand and saying, Jesus, if you have a completely different direction for my life in one of these areas, I will follow. So that's what, that's what taking up your cross and suffering for the sake of others looks like. Okay, so it means uh, being willing to be rejected for the sake of Christ, opening up your home regularly for other people and being in the lives of those who don't know Jesus, surrendering your, your, your plans to Jesus and, and, and serving. And a specific note to, to parents in here as you think about this and those of you who are who want to be parents and uh, and are thinking about having children because it's important to to establish this in advance i i hope this challenges you to think carefully about what does it mean to lead a christian home how jesus defines it because I, i believe you when you say i want to follow jesus and i want my children to follow jesus i believe you but do you think about it in terms of suffering in the way Jesus is talking about it? And so as you, as you raise your children, and we, we have amazing parents. I mean, this is not a rebuke on parents. It, it, think of it more as an encouragement as you continue to raise them. And as those of you who, who want children, think about this now. Children learn primarily, you all know this, uh, more through, um, less through didactic teaching and mainly through imitation. They watch how you live. And that, that's how they live. And so as your children watch you, do they see what it means to suffer for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom? So that means living relatively modestly so that you have more to give. That means inviting outsiders into your home. It means spending time in God's word even when you don't want to. So your parents, your, 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 your children see it. And then they know what it means to follow Jesus. Yes, there's amazing blessings in following Jesus. But also it means taking up your cross. Okay, so Jesus is a king, but not just a king. He's a king on a cross. And because he's a king on a cross, he calls you to pick up your cross and to suffer so that others can live. So I'm not going to close in prayer yet. And let's talk about how do you actually get the motivation and, and power to do this? It would be pretty morose if we just ended now. And so two rich gifts Jesus gives you for being, being able to, to live this out. I hope this has been sobering for, for you guys. It's been challenging me this week. So first, as you suffer for Jesus and his kingdom, um, notice that Jesus says, take up, whoever takes up his cross in verse 34, or in other words, take up your cross. So what that means is don't take up somebody else's cross. 
And because what we do is we tend to compare our crosses or our sufferings with other people. So we say, oh, well, I'm not suffering as much as the, those people, so I'm not doing as much for the kingdom. Or you, you, you fall into self-pity and you elevate your suffering. And then when other people are complaining, you, you get angry. You say, what's wrong with you? You have, you have the spouse of your dreams and you have, you have dual income, no kids. You're, you're, you're healthy as larks. Why are you complaining? No, Jesus says, take up your cross. You have a unique cross to bear. And so for, for some of you, that means maybe your career is awesome right now, but your family life is not as you, you hoped it would be. Either in your nuclear family, or you're single and you don't want to be single, or you're married and you, you don't want to be married anymore. You're, you're, you're suffering in, in, in your, your marital relationship, um, or something's going on, so going on with your kids. Or the other way around, things may be going amazing in the family department, but you're your work life is horrible and it's just not going as you wished it would. Either way, you have a unique cross. And what, what's so encouraging is Jesus does not leave you alone as you carry this cross. So first, if you're trusting in Jesus, he gives you his spirit. And this is the same spirit that comforted and strengthened Jesus as he carried his cross and as he suffered for you. That same spirit is in you. And second, he gives you the church community. So Jesus says it in Mark chapter 10, verse, verse 29, he says, anyone who, who leaves behind their own desires in their life, uh, they will receive a hundredfold in houses and brothers and sisters in this life. And so you, you have the church community to help you as well as you carry your cross. So that's number one, is it, it's your cross, but you're not alone in, in carrying it. Okay, you have the spirit, you have the community. And then second is, as you think about suffering for Jesus, what the, the thing really that, that's going to, to help you the most with this is saying how much Jesus did for you. Because when somebody gives up so much for you, it makes it very easy to give back to them. So for example, uh, Kelsey and I, as many of you know, have experienced a lot of financial and medical hardships over the past 10 years. And a lot of people, many of you in this body have, have really cared for us and, and thank you. And uh, so there's this, there's this one couple who have really just taken it, taken us under their wing and uh, they, they've taken us out to, to nice restaurants a lot and just told us to order whatever we want. Uh, they've had us over to, to stay in their home and they, they feed us well. Uh, one time a number of years ago when we were n n multiple thousand dollars behind what we needed for monthly expenses, they wrote us a surprise check to help us pay our rent. And a couple months ago, Kelsey and I had an opportunity to spend the day with them. And so we just decided, hey, we're, we're going to, we just want to treat you guys today. So we took them to an event and, you know, we, we treated them to food and this wasn't like a, a super expensive day. You know, we weren't spending thousands of dollars, but it, it did pretty much wipe out our fun money and restaurant budget for the month. And here, here's the point. It, it did not feel like spending money at all. It did not feel like this really hard sacrifice we had to shoulder. Why? Because of how much they, they, how much they had given us. It was, it was no problem to do this little thing for them because of how much they, they had given for us. How much has Jesus Christ given for you? What has Jesus Christ done for you? Because Jesus Christ, when, when he set his heart on you, the, the Lord of Lords, the, the King of Kings. He, he laid aside all of his power, all of his glory, all of his wealth. And, and he came to earth to, to be rejected, to suffer, and to be crucified by the very people that he came to save. 
And on the cross, he, he crumpled, crumbled under, under the weight of the sin of the world. Why? Because he was doing something as a moral example? No, because he was in your place. So that you, just by trusting in him, he can look at you and say, it doesn't matter how many times you fail me. It doesn't matter how alone you feel. It doesn't matter how frightened you are by your circumstances. It doesn't matter how weak your faith might be in a given season. You belong to me. You belong to me because I paid for you at the cross. I was vindicated in my resurrection. And so while your commitment to me may waver, my commitment never wavers to you. My promises are certain. My love for you is deeper than the heavens and I never let go of those that I love. And I promise on myself to take you into the new creation where love will triumph over hate where life will triumph over death, where light will triumph over darkness. So Jesus' charge to you is, I'm your king, but I'm your king who went to a cross on your behalf. And so pick up your cross and, and follow me, suffer for me for the sake of others. And when you, when you follow me, yes, suffering will be the norm. But even more than suffering being the norm, will, will my faithfulness be the norm? Will my majesty be the norm? Will my goodness in your life be the norm? And so put to death everything in you that, that is contrary to me. Put to death your need to be accepted. Put to death your need to be comfortable. And hold on to Jesus. And when you hold on to Jesus, you'll find him and everything else thrown in. Let's go to God in prayer. Mm. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will be a church that when people look at us, they will say, they must follow King Jesus because of the joy they have and because of how much they lay aside their own interests for the sake of others. So I pray that you will grow every single person in here, Lord, that we will pick up our crosses and follow you, Lord, that we will be um, willing to be rejected as we live for you, Lord, that we uh, enter into uncomfortable situations, Father, inviting people into our home, uh, planning with an open hand, Father. And I pray that through our, our ordinary acts of faithfulness that you will do extraordinary things in this body and in this city. And it's in the name of Jesus we lift up these things to you. Amen.